0: That's BlueNile.com.
2: Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the biggest stories in European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm
3: Addy Brassel. And I'm Lassie Watson.
2: On this edition, the Champions League draw, what does it tell us about who's going to win it? Also, talking of draws, two teams, two top draw managers in the City of Oranges. We're talking the two sides of Seville, Zampioli and Pellegrini. And talking derbies. the top draw one in the Jumbig is where Xavi Alonso is begging the question, can great footballers make great coaches? Let's start off with uh, hearing from either of you, if anything has caught your eye this week that we may have missed and we won't be talking fully about
1: and well, of, of course we had a full program of league action in um in spain in italy in germany which i always love a bit of midweek football and we'll, we'll come back to that later because i i, I did have a little trip I, I treated myself but um italy is where we're going to go let I, me just I always... clarify about the
2: trip yeah when you treated yourself, you, you, your journey overseas, yeah?
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come to that. But um, uh, for, for, I. <laughs> it's suggesting Andy's on drugs. <laughs> I never suggest. I was just clarifying. I'm just saying.
2: Come on now. <laughs> uh, no, let's get back to
1: it. So you're overseas, you went, and we'll hear more about that in a moment. My highlight of the, of the week, other than the stuff that we were going to talk about, would have to be. Jose Mourinho putting up one of his players and uh, giving him a right kicking. Of course, after the 1-1 draw with Sassuolo, he said he was very pleased with 15 of the 16 players. <laughs> and uh, one, one of them uh, was, was really unprofessional in his level of effort. And he told him to find a new club in January. Wow! And ever, everyone Jose. knows it's Rick
3: Karlstorp. Old the way. school. It's the That's kind of man heavy. management that makes him such a success everywhere he goes these days. <laughs> <laughs> and and you, Lars, anything caught your? Listen, right? I've not been on for a while, so I'm I'm going to revert to type. I'm going to bring the full Nordic bias and and say that uh, the midweek. I mean, my highlight of the midweek certainly was watching Alexander Solot, the King in the North, score a dainty chip for Real Sociedad well, versus it? Sevilla. I mean, it's it's great watching him be confident and playing good football again because he is someone who has so much in him, as we remember from when he went out to Trabzonspor and scored like all the goals in, in yes. the Turkish league, had his big move to Leipzig, which was a disaster, just an unmitigated disaster. He could never find his feet there at all and looked just a shell of a player. And it was one of those when you watched him, he was so far away from, like, his maximum potential. You had to just go on YouTube and remind yourself that he has at one point been good, you know, as mm. one of those. And, and and now he's playing really well for Sociedad, looking confident, looking strong... And, and, and scoring a dainty chip off a through ball which is nice thing com- at all
1: the confidence of that goal was That's something the thing else. i mean you know me lars i hate an nba reference but i'm gonna have to say <laughs> it was very much which even was, i know you it was like it was a it, it was a dion waiters buzzer beater in the i remember him putting away a couple for the miami heat and then standing there as if like i do this all the time <laughs> all the time
3: yes. so that that was just good to see because I love yeah. it's one of the Nordic bias or not there's something about seeing a player who has had his form just collapse completely and lose yeah. his way get back to it and show that he can do stuff so that made me very happy
2: and I'm not accusing you of having an affair Lars, but it <laughs> does sound no because there was such a look of glee on your face when you started talking about him I thought this is a bromance yes. uh, the like of which uh, modern football hasn't perhaps witnessed <laughs>
3: But so well, that's me Delfen. with all the Norwegian players. You should know this by now. <laughs> that's <laughs> true. I'm from true. a small country. This
2: is true. So uh, let me just tell everybody that you can get in touch with us anytime during the course of the week, of course. So you can tweet us at FootballRamble, at Dotton, at Ebayo, at Andy Brassel, and at Losh Severson, as Dom has done. And he asked a question. Yeah, pretty obvious, this one, is it? Um, Real Madrid seems to be improving again but have been dealt a tasty draw in the Champions League against Liverpool. How do you think Los Blancos will go in Europe this season? Who wants a kickoff?
1: Well, I think they're the favourites as things stand. I'm not sure I'd say overwhelming favourites, but bearing in mind that they are the Champions League holders and um, they are better than they were last season. They're younger and more athletic than they were last season. If you look at the way they use um, Camavinga and Rodrigo as finishers, I believe, is the modern parlance um, it, it, of, of the games last year. And Ancelotti has involved them more this year. Tremeni has come into the midfield. Um, they've got Rudiger. I, I think all those things point towards Real Madrid being a pretty good bet to get it done again not say there aren't other contenders and I understand Manchester City like at this point every year are the (laughs) favourites in in various UK betting markets Um, there's there's Bayern to not be discounted Um, I I think this Champions League draw Dotton, is is so fascinating because every Champions League draw um, and every Champions League last 16 draw I should say we have to take a little step back from. Because the ties that come out of the hat are not the ties that end up getting played two months later. Mm. The thing is, because this Champions League, because of the weird nature of this season, which we've talked about time and time again, has finished six weeks earlier, five to six weeks earlier than it normally would do, um, there's an even bigger gap. And there's the thing of there being a World Cup in the middle. So we've got to caveat everything we talk about at this point. If Liverpool were to play Real Madrid tomorrow, I think it would be like the most horrible tie for for, for Liverpool. Yeah. But there's there's a capacity, isn't there, Lars, for Liverpool to like at least start to close that gap,
3: isn't yeah. it? So that's why it's challenging to really preview these games, even though of course we're going to talk about it because it's fascinating. And it is a very fascinating draw. But the caveat for everything we're saying is you know, Jürgen Klopp might have figured it out by then. You know, that this month they might be uh, in a better in a better nick. Karen Benzema might uh, twang something in the World Cup and, like, be out for for a long time. I mean, you never know. But I, I, I just love the fact that after Florentino Perez whinged recently that, you know, Real Madrid and Liverpool have, have only played each other so, so many <laughs> times, the gods of football went... Right, fine. There you go, Real Madrid. You get Liverpool. Is
1: that what we're calling UEFA now, is it?
3: <laughs> Listen, a, the, the draw is not rigged. It's the <laughs> gods of football. It's That's how it goes. And, and talking of the draw, obviously,
2: uh, Liverpool, Real Madrid is an eye-catcher, but also, I'd have thought that
3: PSG... Uh, <laughs> Amazing.
2: Well, it, PSG versus Bayern is
3: another one that you can't... The thing is, it, everyone even, involved would have been furious about that. The, the,
1: the moment that that you, you get Club Brugger versus Benfica as the second tie you're thinking there's a couple of real monsters in the yeah, post here yeah, aren't, yeah. aren't you but it's it's funny I think if you go back and look at it statistically because obviously you can't play teams that you're in the group with and you can't play teams that you're uh, from the same country as at this stage mm. I think PSG's most likely opponent was was Bayern and vice versa for that reason I think it was like they had a, like a 25% chance or Twenty-two percent chance was similar of, of but still of they could have avoided this
3: by winning their group. Yeah, I you mean, know, it only happens because you, Benfica has that sort of weird goal spurt against Maccabi Haifa in the final day.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's it. I mean, you you say PSG should have got it. I mean, they they really almost got it done, didn't they? I, I think you go into that final day and think uh, we, we win at Juventus and it should have, have been Benfica. Group. Yeah, that's that that's true. But you think. At the start of the day, if you're reasonable, we go in, we, we, win at, we win at Juventus, and we've we've won the group. But you know, I don't think it's is such a bad thing. Obviously, PSG have had some quite decent results against Bayern if we go back over the the last couple of years. Um, so and they've always competed with them, though they are competitive with them in the in the Champions League final that they they won in Lisbon. So I think this is really interesting. The thing that I I think makes PSG versus Bayern not only the biggest but the most interesting tie in in this last is because until we get a bit deeper into the season I don't think I don't think we can take that much from either side's performance Mm. in the groups also I'm totally convinced by both of them on the ball I'm not really convinced with either of them without the ball for slightly different reasons
3: and I think the World Cup is a factor here more so than with maybe more so than with maybe any other tie and with with PSG I mean first of all there's the point which I keep harping on about so I'll be brief They've been very good in France this season. This season they've played like what you would expect a team with Neymar and Mbappe and uh, and Messi to play like in Liga, you know. The thing they weren't getting last season, which ultimately did for Pochettino Uh, that kind of Harlem Globetrotters like performances we're seeing this season like Christophe Galtier has done really well in in getting the best out of those right but the question still remains can you actually beat the biggest teams in Europe in knockout games with three passengers uh, uh, when you're out of possession right I don't I'm not sure that's possible but we're going to find out and it's going to be really interesting to find out so that's one thing the other thing is the internal psychodramas of this team remain super interesting, right? Mm. And uh, bearing in mind, we are kind of go always going off of media reports, some of whom are more credible than others, and they're human beings at the end of the day, and we need to treat it with blah, 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 blah. But reading the French media, basically the suggestion is that Mbappe wanted Neymar out this summer because Mbappe... To his credit, I think, realises that having three superstars in the in a team is, is tricky. It leaves a lot of work from everyone everyone else. One of the superstars being him, so he obviously he doesn't want that to change. And the other one is Leo Messi. Fair enough, probably the best player of all time. You know, happy to have that. So we need to get rid of one, and that leaves poor old Neymar, which is harsh on him because he's been great. But you know, the suggestion is he wanted Neymar out. So, so that's the kind of thing that's rumbling in the background. And now we go into a World Cup where I think all three of these guys... You know they will be the main man for their respective national teams, and all three of them will be heading to the World Cup thinking and hoping we can win the, win it.
1: And for two of them, it's a career definer.
3: Yeah, for for Messi, it's his last chance, and also he's never played better for Argentina. Mean, I don't. I've never felt better about Argentina going into a World Cup with Messi than and everything than I do right now. I think this is. It's not just his last chance, but I I think you can make a strong case for this being his best chance. Uh, I I think with Neymar, of course, he's talked openly about not fancying playing on for that long so even if he's just 30 it's very possibly his last uh, his last world cup we don't really know what happens with him and he's at you know he hasn't really done it for brazil yet in the sense that he hasn't led them to success he's obviously scored a ton of goals but it will be hugely defining for his legacy whether he can do it with them or not and then mbappe who obviously now has a planet-sized ego and, and and wants to cement his position as the best player in the world by by leading France to winning the World Cup. But I think well, one the interesting the, thing is only one of these three can succeed in this quest, right? Maximum, yeah. Or maybe none of them. Uh, maybe even none of them, right? So yeah. we're going to come away into January with these three superstars needing to work together, possibly having eliminated one another from the World Cup. It's going to be incredible. This
2: is tantalizing.
1: It's it's, it is incredible. quite something. Well, no. I think this
3: is where we need is, to have the reality shows if like they,
1: <laughs> if the, if they were playing this game tomorrow like we were talking about with Liverpool versus Real Madrid there's a striker you want on you want on your team it's Eric Eric Maxim Choupo-Moting. that's that's the striker that you want on your team because he's he's absolutely flying at the moment I think that's the interesting thing when we're talking about you know form now versus all the possibles and probables that could happen in the in in the next three months it's it's like when we analyze him what City and Spurs will have to face in in, in Leipzig and, and, and Milan as as, as well because um, Leipzig are in really good nick at the really good nick at the moment but again um, th- th- and they did very well to dig themselves out of their situation in their group bear in mind they lost the first game 4-1 to Shakhtar Donetsk um, they have Christopher and Kunku's absolutely on on fire at the moment the fact that their team is a bit top heavy is working for them. I would imagine Manchester City can take advantage of that quite quite nicely. Milan, I, I think, are super interesting. And I, I are think, they? Yeah, they they're really interesting. Are they turning their form around yet? Um, well, I, I think I think they're. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't rule them out of of winning Serie A, but I think if they they're not in a position to be winning Serie A by the time we get to early spring. Maybe that gives them a bit of a a leg up in the Champions League. I think they can be competitive with Spurs. I think the fact that they've got a very young team that's learning on the fly really quickly with lots of players, like we spoke with um, Nicky about last week, who can take responsibility. The fact that you've got Ibrahimovic to come back in terms of his influence. I I expect him to play the odd game here and there, but it's, it's more about his influence. You know, he's been making himself felt more on the... On the, on the sidelines. And I do wonder if, you know, we talked about the World Cup. Well, obviously, one of, one of the leaks we've had, we've not had the full England squad at the time of recording, but we know that Ficayo Tomori, for example, is not going. If I'm Stefano Pioli, I probably secretly feel quite good about that. I feel that one of my most important players, I don't want him going out to Qatar and just sitting around for six weeks and not playing. I'd rather him have a proper break and then come back at it Ready to stick it down the throat of the national team coach when he gets to the other side. I I, I think that's better. For, they got for them turned there.
2: over by Chelsea twice.
1: They 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 didn't. They were they were poor in both of those games, especially in their management of those games, especially in the management of the second one.
3: And that's where I'm intrigued with this tie because Milan, Milan obviously reigning champions, and you say their form hasn't been great. They're still second in the league behind yeah, yeah. behind a flying Napoli side, and they're still looking really good to me in Serie A. But they were so far off it in both games against Chelsea that you wonder if they're quite ready to to do it against the stronger opponents in, in yeah. Europe yet. So that'll be fascinating. Of course, Spurs. <laughs> Again, if this tie was played tomorrow, <laughs> I, 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 you'd be pretty betting pretty heavily on Milan. But Antonio Conte might figure things out by then, and uh, yeah, we'll see.
2: He's got a lot of work to do, hasn't he? But the other tie, that is eye-catching is Barcelona versus Manchester United. Something of a repeat of the 2000 Europa League. The Europa
1: League, he's bringing a bit of culture to the group there. Well, apologies, (laughs) apologies, apologies.
2: Yeah, not necessarily. The mighty have fallen since the glory days of the Champions League final of 2011 is the point that I was trying to make. Um, Yeah, these teams, normally you wouldn't sort of concentrate on any
1: of the lower leagues, but this one... It's but I, I, I think I think it's a really big deal to Manchester United in particular because I feel that whatever happens in this, Barcelona are going to be competitive in the league to, to the to the end of the season. I, I feel quite confident in that. But with Manchester You'd United, hope so <laughs> you would. But with with Manchester United, it's, it's by no means a given that they win that they get in the top four. So they could get in the top four, but I don't, I don't think it's it's a given because. Everything about them is, is so gradually evolving. So I think if, if I was Eric Ten Hag, I would have been targeting this competition from the very beginning. And also to put his team in a kind of Champions League context, it's like, this is what you're aiming for. This is what it's about. This is the kind of tie you want to be playing, not home and away against Real Sofiadab with no disrespect to them. So, so and you and you certainly think, not Ammonia and, but, Nicosia. So but, are you essentially saying this is one of the better ways of getting into the Champions League next season? Yeah, I'm I'm not sure it is now because I, I yeah, see really, them as very well. much second favourites for it. But yeah, I I think it, it should it should always have been a target for them,
3: definitely. But it's also funny because it's it is a challenging draw for Barcelona. You know, Manchester United have looked like they've been improving recently, right? And what is the reason that they just went mad this summer and pulled all the levers and started selling off bits of the family silver and all of this, right? It's because of last season was so intolerably bad, right? That was such a disaster. We cannot go on like this, was the feeling, right? Uh, what actually happened last season? Right? They got knocked out in the group stage of the Champions League, went out then early in the Europa League and finished <laughs> second in the league. Uh, does this all sound familiar to something that might be shaping up to, to be happening this season? I don't know. It would be just an utter humiliation for Laporta and the club if they end up with the exact same result as last season, having spent all this money in such a reckless manner. What a disaster that would be for them. So there's actually quite a lot of pressure on them for this game, weirdly. And I just throw in as well, <laughs> I saw an amazing tweet after the draw, from, which is a little bit tongue-in-cheek from, from Cy Lloyd on Twitter. Uh, pointing out that um, the jokes on City, to be honest, all that money spent since 2008 and nearly 15 years on, United are still playing European glamour ties against Barcelona while they face an energy drink company pretending to be a football club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, they- <laughs> now, I can't fully endorse all of that, but um, I'm also not objecting to We're not to asking it. you to. Let's
2: take a look at La Liga now, where... I suppose, Andy, you can preen yourself because you, last week, managed to get the game of the week
1: correct. Well, what, what, did, what did Morgan say? Tell us what Morgan said.
2: Well, uh, it's, Morgan... It's, not, it's not for us to say, it's for the listeners to say. <laughs> I'm giving you an opportunity to claim it beforehand. Okay, this is from Morgan, who says, What was the game of the weekend last weekend? And why was it Betis versus Sevilla? Exactly. For You're so free many
1: now. reasons. I'll do that. I'll, yeah, take will take, take it, mate. I'll pick it
2: up and run with it. You uh, picked uh, it
1: up and you ran with it and you got it <laughs> right for once. This is what I was trying to say. The, the, the thing is, it's um, I, I don't want to borrow Jonathan Wilson's quote about goals being overrated. But goals aren't everything, are they? We only got two in this game, but it was such an incredibly... Um, watchable games. It was games. the and
2: game of the Red Cards, wasn't it? The yeah.
1: Derby
3: of the Red Cards. Are Red what, Cards it's... more fun than goals? <laughs> uh, Sometimes. Red Cards often cause goals down the line as well. Yeah, that Many is, Red that Cards true. often equals many goals. That, that, <laughs>
1: yes. is, that is true. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll go into the Red Cards in a minute. The, the, the fact is, as uh, regular listeners will know, um, the Seville Derby is my favourite. Uh, the atmosphere around it is incredible. Uh, there's always something happening. Um, there was a return to the good/slash bad old days with Monchi, the sporting director of Sevilla, now being banned from uh, Eliopolis, Betis's ground, for his behaviour in the uh, director's box, which is quite an effort. It, it Do you know said. the details? um it, 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 it apparently he was inciting violence oh, betis oh alleged goodness, oh <laughs> yeah, it, yeah so uh i mean he is essentially a man in a suit so i'm interested to know what form that that, that i
3: tick. find looking across the world men in suits often incite violence yeah, yeah. <laughs> but po- po- possibly possibly
1: um we we got we got these we got these three red cards um one for severe and um two for Betis and at the point where Betis 1-0 up and a man up they look as if they've got everything in hand but of course nothing is what it seems in the Seville derby so having in Europe rested their two best players arguably their two best players Borja Iglesias and um Nabil Fekir in the week um (laughs) Betis then saw them both sent off within 50 minutes
3: if, is, if anything, they were too well-rested. Taking, I mean, taking too much, resting to the next too, <laughs> level. Too, too, too keen to get going again, you know. He's, Shouldn't he's, have eaten the
1: warm meat on no, their day absolutely off. absolutely not. And um, so, so they they took the lead Sevilla. Uh, t- sorry, Betis took the lead with this um, ridiculous uh, Jesus Navas own goal where um, uh, Nemanja Goudelia went to clear it, hit it into Navas and it went in the goal. And then... Later, goodellia scores one of the goals of the season. Absolutely smashes it, it in amazing. from miles Remarkable out. strike. Yeah. Yeah. And then he has a similar strike which hits the crossbar in they the last minute. It
2: to him because and you. then after yeah.
1: that, and he never scores. And then after that, Claudio Bravo makes a an, an, a brilliant save from him from from an absolute power driver. And it would have been such a win for Sevilla. I, th- I feel it was a pretty good point for Sevilla, but bearing in mind that. The balance of power, as we were saying last week, when we talked about this Shifted. game of the week, it, it, it is big time It's Don. upside down, so, actually, so, if you think about the number of... But Betis, Betis have been coming up on the outside for a while, having, sure. have, having said that. But,
2: but in head-to-heads, uh, how many times have they beaten Sevilla?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, the, the, the bottom falling out of, of, of Sevilla, I guess, is the, the interesting thing that we're going to get onto here. And obviously, Sevilla followed this up in the sort of style that you would expect, not in winning... Against Real dad, but in getting
3: two players sent off in, in the getting first chipped half, by the King of the North, <laughs> <And> <laughs> Alexander that so exactly. <laughs> but before we move on to slightly more big picture things, can I just from the El Grand Derby from the from the El Grand Derby the L? What am I doing? I think there's a permanent ban from OTC when you do the L, the L Clasico. There should be some sort of mechanism in the Ramble studio that like an anvil drops out of the roof onto your head. <laughs> if Funny you enough, there is. Actually, don't edit that out. Keep it in so the listeners can know what a fool I am. Um, just one more thing from this game. I have a riddle for you, Dawson, and I got a shout out to the excellent Sidlow for pointing this out. Something happened in this game, which seems impossible, yet it happened. And that is that Borja Iglesias had one of the best chances of the game Striker for Betis in the 55th minute. Yet he received a red card in the 48th minute. <laughs> How does that work? <laughs>
2: Let me try and figure this out. This is like from a Nordic oh, fairy tale. Oh, like, there's a know troll under a bridge. I oh, God, you're works. too clever. I'm not too clever, but there was extra
3: time in the first half. There was. There was 10 minutes added in the first <laughs> half. That's how that worked.
2: But it's still a good one. It's
3: a good riddle. Did, you're just uh, too clever. Did, this is all your time in Sweden. You're very good at these sort of riddles. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this, there could be a troll under a bridge, like, posing this sort of question, and you have to answer, and then you get the princess and half the kingdom. Anyway. Yeah, well, anyway, I was going to
2: say the answer is three of the last 21. Right. Right? I asked you how many times is Betis beaten okay. Sevilla in the, the last 21 derbies, yeah? Uh, I didn't say specifically 21. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just clarifying for you. Say, you... <laughs> You're
3: in a very chaotic mood today, Dr. How, how, the how,
2: how have things turned upside down, though, is what we don't know. How have Sevilla, which was the dominant team in Seville. How have they become the less dominant team in the current
1: situation well, as, against Betis? As we said, Betis have been building it for a while. I, I think, I, I mean, there there are so many elements of their team that make you want to watch them every week. And uh, Pellegrini has, has has done a brilliant job. With Sevilla, it's, it's interesting. I think hulen Lopetegui is quite instructive when he was seen off with that home defeat by Dortmund. That's a but, Sevilla coach. Yeah, the, the, the ex-Sevilla coach. Yeah. Yeah the reception that he got from the fans. And he got great reception from the fans. I think they realised that he'd reached the end and and he had to go. And I think he realised that as well, of course, now now the new Wolves coach. But the way that he was taken out in front of the fans by Monchi, the sporting director, as if he was to say, give it up for this guy. Mm. It's kind of my fault. Or a lot of it's my fault. Because we've been here before with Monchi. Of course, it's his second spell as sporting director with Sevilla. Very much part of the club. For m- most of the last um, 30 years, he's been there as as, as player, as sporting director, etc. And he has done so much to make money for the club, raise sporting expectations, all that sort of stuff. But if you go back to that first spell, if you get to the back end of the Manolo Jimenez era, so after Juan de Ramos was gone, so we're, we're talking sort of about 2009-ish, he has a really bad dip. He doesn't manage to pick up great players anymore. And you think before that, you know, he's um, made the most from youth team players like Sergio Ramos, um, bought in Danny Alves for next to nothing from Bahia and then sold him on for a fortune after helping to make him a great player, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, those are just two of the big name examples. Now, I'll be interested to know how severe look at it this time because in terms of recruitment, he's definitely in that dip point. You know, we're going back to like eleven, twelve years ago, and but how far they've fallen is quite remarkable. I mean, they're not the only big-ish team struggling down there. Felt are a place below them at the moment. They've they've just sacked Eduardo Cudet and uh, replaced him with Carlos Calveyal, formerly of Swansea, in Sheffield Wednesday. But I, I think it's Sam Pauli coming in and trying to play his kind of football, which is quite dynamic. When his squad is kind of full of old
3: guys isn't yeah, it Yeah, yeah no, that's a strange one I would also just this is a very basic point but really if you look at them last season you go back to January of last season when it looked like they were actually had a real chance at like, going for the title yeah you look at that team and say what's what's the biggest strength of this team if you go across the eleventh? I think most people would probably say the defense and the center halves in particular. There's a reason why Jules Kunde and Diego Carlos were just were both very highly rated. You know, Newcastle tried to spend a fortune on Diego Carlos in January. He ends up going to, to Villa and then unfortunately getting very injured. But also Cundé goes to Barcelona. That that center half pairing was really, you know, the, the, the heart of the team, I would argue. Or certainly a big part of it. They both get sold this summer. And they're not replaced well. Like, Itangu might become a great centre-half, but he's not yet at all. And uh, One
1: of the red card recipients? Yeah, and it's
3: just... I think if you're... And this is in the sort of coach-sporting-director dynamic. It, it is a cliche, but it's often not true. I mean, the sporting director will have overall control of the squad and the planning and all this sort of stuff. But in this case, you've sold two brilliant centre-halves and not replaced them well... And the team suddenly collapses and the coach gets fired. And was like, hang on, I've been stitched up here. Like, this isn't on me.
1: Yeah, you, you, I think you look at the first half of that, that Champions League group and you think that they've got a really young defence and a really old forward line. And you probably want it the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 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 ideally.
3: Um, and I do think, yeah, sorry, we, 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 you, you see, but as, as they lose to Real Sociedad last night... You know they they played the the 4-2-3-1 and then the line of three you've got Isco uh and, and Torres and Lamella. like I I'm intrigued to see Sampaoli try to turn that into an all-action uh, high pressing machine. I mean, I think that's that's a, that's a strange one. I'm not is, sure you've got the legs for it. Is this
1: an inappropriate time to say let's give Monti January? <laughs> because he he's going to need to be if if we're talking about whether he's lost it or not in terms of recruitment and and what have you. And, you know, they have, well, they, Lopetegui had a bit of bad luck in that one of his centre-half replacements, Marcal, who came over from Galatasaray, is very good, wasn't fit to play a single game for him. Mm. Um, and pre- presumably he can use the World Cup period to to, to get himself properly fit. Um, but, Monchi, if we're talking about whether he is floundering, just having a moment, or whether it's all going totally south, January's the point where he can answer that criticism, isn't it, Lars?
3: It is, but there's also limitations to what you can do in a January window. I think this would be and more... And not a
1: bottomless pot, either.
3: And I think with sporting yeah. directors, you have to kind of give them some time to, to think big picture. I mean, transfers is stuff you can't fix overnight. But I would certainly say he's a little bit on notice going into next summer. Thing. We kind of stuffed it up last summer. But we did raise quite a lot of money selling these center halves. So there should be be finances there to rejig the squad a little bit and go again.
0: As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either.
2: Untangle any unneeded worries and start to value your time for you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're we're talking about January. That's such a long time away. (laughs) Can we we slow down for a moment and talk about your field trip, Andy? Did you see what I did there? Field trip. Nice, Um, nice. Your field trip to see Jabi Alonso in Germany.
1: Yeah, that's right. I went to um, the small derby as uh, Köln call it, between uh, Köln and Leverkusen. (laughs) They call it that. Well, well, yeah, because they're proper rivals of Borussia (laughs) Mönchengladbach. It is funny how Leverkusen have, I I guess, more of a European profile, more money, more resource, better players, all that sort of stuff. But um, Köln they're just like, yeah, this this is not a proper derby for us. (laughs) 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 Which I find quite amusing. It's disrespectful as well. A a little, but I I think it it helps Leverkusen, who, you know, this feeling of being... A factory team and thus a bit plastic has always stuck to them. Of course, in in terms of that, they've been kind of they and Wolfsburg have kind of been usurped by RB Leipzig in the in the, oh, in, in the last five years and then some. As we heard it, but but yeah, I think um, th- they needed this. I think Leverkusen, not just the fact that they they won in the Derby, but the fact that they needed this kind of derby energy to get them going because we saw them play a really good second half against union berlin who went into last weekend top of the league um ended up third uh, once they got absolutely battered at five nil at leverkusen nil nil at half time, and then leverkusen get busy in the in, in the second half but we know they can play we know they've got good players what we didn't know and what we're still learning about is can these players kind of dig in because they are in a relegation battle that is the reality of things they've been in the bottom three for a, for a while they've just come out of it with those two successive wins I, I spoke to their sporting director simon Rolfes, afterwards and he was saying to me actually if you think about it Jerry alonso has done a pretty good job because if they've had like this pack calendar because they've been in champions league as well so no time really to work with the players and get his ideas across but he's managed to do it to a certain extent but you know he's not been brought for a rele- relegation battle this team this squad has not been assembled for a relegation battle mm. but at least in the short term that's what they're in you know they've got to show balls as well as quality and you know they rode their luck a bit in calm but but they they did that quite quite well and i, I was
3: thought. interested to know having watched them in the flesh uh not that many hours ago andy uh how are they looking defensively? Because that was my big thing. When They had something like the third worst defensive record in the Bundesliga when Xavi Alonso comes in, certainly on expected goals, which is like... There's a lot of goofy defending in the Bundesliga. So, if you're a team with Leverkusen's resources and quality and you're the third worst defensive team in the league, then some things have gone very badly wrong. Uh, and this is something you need to address pretty sharpish.
1: Yeah, it, it needs work. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that because, as I say, they, they showed guts, but they also rode their luck a little bit. Uh, you know, um, they, they took the lead, Köln, um, they hit the woodwork twice, including um, late on when um, Stefan Tighez was in acres of space and sent a, a free header onto the crossbar. But um, I think at the moment, it feels like th- there's, there's buy-in, but there definitely needs to be work on how they do stuff off the ball. Mm. That is really hard because they got done in transition quite a few times in the in the first half and maybe a faster team. I kind of felt that if Kern had had Leverkusen's attack in the second in in the first half, yeah, they probably would have been about four 0 down at the break. If they'd have had Musa Diaby, for example, yeah. that would have been about four 0 down at the break.
3: And, and I worry about personnel defensively. I'm getting a strong sense of déjà because I think we talked about Leverkusen the last time I was in the studio with you guys as well. Mm. But just looking, I mean, Tapsoba and, and Tar. Very similar defenders in that they're both athletic, both pretty good on the ball, but both have a bad mistake in them.
1: And Piero Incapier makes it three the magic number, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. Because and I think that's the interesting thing. I wonder if you think Incappier is like 20. Yeah. And you wonder, looking at those two, does he go into that sort of zone next? The,
3: yeah.
1: the sort of prospect that stays a prospect yeah, forever? Yeah, yeah, you
3: yeah. Know? Never... And also adding to the mix and goal who I like as a guy and as a character but definitely gaff prone right Yeah. so absolutely. you have a gaff prone defence and a gaff prone goalkeeper is there a case to be made that they I know not everything can be fixed in the transfer window but this seems to me like a club that needs to just go out and find a 30 year old centre half who's been there and done that and is not the best defender in the world but it just can can be a little bit solid and well, reliable you
1: know previous versions of Leverkusen have done that in the past haven't yeah. they? you remember when they brought in Vedran Chaluka for example something like this uh, and that is a doesn't really need to be ivory. a brilliant but
3: just someone who yeah. doesn't screw up very often at the back there
2: well one of the things that concerns me and i, I do like uh, a young coach that looks like a top class model you know i do well, like a top it. class model for man at el court glaze in his case and, very and, specific and, and and a cross between i suppose uh, david beckham and steven gerrard
1: right okay in fact
2: now, when you start looking at that trajectory of that type of coach, because the same questions were asked about uh, when Steven Gerrard was at uh, Aston Villa, over and over and over again of these type of coaches is whether because they're great players, they come from the great players' um, Hall of Fame, and do great players make great coaches? Uh, I know that you have sent both me and Lars some homework this week, uh, Andy, and it was to read a column in the Guardian by the uh, German player Philip Lahm, who has got a column in the Guardian, and he's saying look, I know Xavi Alonso, you know, me and him are spars he
1: will make a top, top top class uh, coach I, it's, I, I I wasn't really down with the logic of this this, this column, why not? I, I mean the, 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 the logic of it, I could understand a lot of reasons why he thought Xabi Alonso might be a good coach. And that's all we can say at the moment. He might be a good top-level coach because, um, like I said, he's been thrown into this like invidious, difficult position. This World Cup is going to work for him because he's actually got time to spend time with at least some of the players and, and get his ideas across, which I, I think is super valuable. The sort of time that you don't normally get. But philip Lahm's um, perspective was like, if you lose players from the game then you're losing so much experience and you know they can get across something that say an origo saki or a Mourinho or a Nagelsmann man or whatever couldn't his argument in fact lars correct me if i'm wrong his argument seemed to be that the bundesliga wasn't in brilliant health and it was because there wasn't more ex-players coaching the team am, am no, i no, misreading that's that? That, uh... that, that that's what that's what he said isn't it
3: I think that's a pretty wild shout from him in that case I think the reason Bayern keep winning the Bundesliga is that their wage bill is the same as the next two challengers put together yes I mean yes. That, 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 that's pretty much it right you, you could pick their wage bill as the equivalent of like four mid-table teams in that division like it, 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 the, the financial discrepancy is extraordinary I mean I think
1: I mean. he was talking about the, like German teams in Europe yeah, or global just, global yeah global if we well, just yeah, put yeah.
3: Stefan Effenberg in charge of Hertha everything would be fine like I mean no <laughs> Probably like, not. I'm here for that. Yeah. I'm really Where's here Jens for that. Where's Jens Lehmann? I, I Why is he joke. not coaching Bremen? I, I mean, missed it.
1: They've already had Jürgen Klinsmann. I get it now. Well, <laughs>
3: there's, the, there's that. And there's, but, but also, yeah, I thought some of the logic was weird. I think when it comes to... I'd like to not be categorical in any direction about this because I think it's definitely the case that former top players have certain advantages when they take uh, jobs in coaching. The experience is one thing, but I think the experience is more... I'm not sure you need to have been a top-level coach to understand the technical side of it very well, but I think it might sometimes be easier to have a good relationship with the players. I think you have a better Mm. understanding of their day-to-day experience, the pressures they live under, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, I think you have a huge advantage in terms of buy-in from the players. You know Whether you can just go into a room and get everyone to sit down, shut up, and listen to you. Like if you're a Xavi Alonso, you have a better chance at doing that from day one than if you are uh, someone who had a journeyman career in the third tier in Germany, right? I mean, I I think that's just a fact. But but but, but that that's that's a very short term thing. As, that's also as we true. We saw with
1: Gerard at Aston Villa. Whereas like, will, like essentially over time, what you do in your coaching career is what gives you aura. I mean, like players are still really impressed by Mourinho. Aren't
3: they? Yes, that,
1: indeed. That, you know, you think of the players he got to Which come just to just goes to show
3: they don't watch a lot of football.
1: <laughs>
2: well, no, but it, it, it uh, gives a lie, I suppose. <laughs> Get that man out of drum kit. <laughs> it does give a lie, I suppose, to part of Philip Lyme's argument that, you know, mediocre Players, how on earth could they be? Top coaches, kind of thing, because top coaches. No, but then in the same, of- but
3: in the same column, he says that Xavi Alonso will be great because he played for great coaches like like Mourinho and Rafa Benitez. like I feel like you've undermined your yeah, own point a little yeah. bit there, Boyo But uh, no, it's a uh, it's it's a very strange. He him it, It's a very strange, very strange line of reasoning from from uh, from little Philip Lam. Uh, but uh, I, I I think I think the buying stuff and the aura and the having a, a natural understanding of the pressures uh, of life at the top. I think that those are genuine uh, points that that matters. And, and you use, the- use Stephen Gerrard as an example, and that didn't work out very well. And, but he also, he could go to, to, to Marseille and, and to, 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 uh, tell Kamara that you should come to Aston Villa and convince him to, you know, you have some advantages That's as true. a former elite level uh, uh, player. But you're totally right in that players... At the end of the day, players want to be successful. Uh, they want to be as successful as possible, uh, and they will suss out a coach who isn't up to it very, very quickly if he isn't.
2: What we should do is ask each of you for a Game of the Week recommendation for us. You did well last week, Andy. You did,
1: you're on a roll, so to speak. Do you, do you want to go for the brace? Maybe maybe Sunday nights the, the the place to be. Then I'm going to go for Monaco versus Marseille. Mm. <clears throat> two teams that, despite the great form of Lens, I think have a decent chance of occupying the other two spots in the top three that aren't um, PSG. Um, M- Monaco are that th- th- they've. They've been better than I thought they would this season. I think they look globally fairly impressive, even though they've made heavier weather of their Europa League campaign than they needed to. Um, They've got a second goal-scoring option uh, now, as well as Wissam Beñera, who, of course, didn't get picked for the France squad, in Braille and below. Again, it's one of those ones where, if I was Philippe Clement, I would be thinking, I really wish he had the World Cup off. Of course, he's going to go mm-hmm. there for Switzerland and be super important for them because Embolo looks in the form of his life um, for Monaco at the moment. Um, Marseille did well to um, grind out a win against Lyon after that um, disappointment of going out to Spurs uh, last week. Obviously, there's also the angle there'll be more Marseille fans there, the Monaco ones, despite the fact it's in, in Monaco. I mean, they're... that's
3: always the case, though.
1: Oh, yeah, but particularly so because they're so <laughs> well supported all over France. So, sorry. They'll have more fans than Monaco, and the ground will be full.
3: Now you've got my attention. That's, that's <laughs> the way to put it. That's,
1: that's the way to put a, it. And I, I think there's no um, possible way to enjoy Monaco than if, like, I would say, if you get a friend, housemate, or partner to uh, make you a toasted sandwich and then charge you £20 for it that
3: gives you the monte carlo experience <laughs> and then refuse to very pay good. your taxes for a while very good
2: very good. and don't think you can step on a beach either that's private mate <laughs> um so last what will you offer us as a little bit less costly
3: yeah some some counter programming on sunday night i'm it's a gutsy pick for game of the week because we tend to say oh we want to pick the ones with loads of goals and loads of drama this might not have that but I'm very intrigued about Maurizio Sarri's return to Juventus with Lazio. Juventus Lazio mm. on Sunday night, uh, because Juventus, sadly, as much as I love making fun of them on this show, they they are coming off. Well, uh, they're, they're coming wiping off
2: wiping of, the smile off your face.
3: Well, they beat Inter and they've been marginally less hopeless recently so <laughs> <It's> uh, <harsh. laughs> now if you look at the league table they're actually not that many points away from the Champions League spots so maybe Allegri is putting this is a bit premature to say he's fixing them but putting something together there whereas of course Lazio are, are, are all the way up in third and have been really good this season have just beat Roma in the derby Maurizio Sarri there have been tendencies of, of Sarismo of Sarri ball breaking out there and actually a team finally working the way sorry wants them to which of course Juventus you know he could never figure out Juventus when he was up there that that was a really strange mix between them that didn't work out I'm sure he'd he'll have a he'd be happy to uh, to get one over them so th- I think this should be a really intriguing contest now both these teams also play uh, Thursday night Uh, Juventus play Verona and Lazio play Monza so maybe maybe something happens tonight that'll change the equation but I have to say going into the weekend I think that is an intriguing fixture on the Sunday night Pizza or pasta? Hmm Or salad? (laughs) Well, obviously not salad. Come on. Okay, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, um, no. A good, a good pasta dish. I'm sure will be fine for this. Uh, we're not in the sort of proper pizza strongholds, are we? We're not in 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 Naples anymore. So, uh, should I bring the cannoli? Why not, Andy? Why yeah,
1: not? As, as as well. I was um I I was told by a footballer once, uh, who played for Juventus, that um after you've had Nutella. In Turin, you can't have Nutella anywhere else, really, no, because it's yeah. just of a it's no, just really? a, a high Interesting. grade thing. Genuinely, yeah, genuinely, and it's
2: still called Nutella, or is this some Nutella. kind of independent? I had version,
3: a Nutella flavored gelato in Ischia once; that was very yeah. good. I mean, maybe that maybe that sort of direction is. Related. Talking of health matters, <laughs> thank you both of you. <laughs>
2: Football Ramble is a stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day.
0: That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun?
2: Yeah, you get it every time
1: and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars limited time only price and
2: participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer single item at regular price Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
0: join us today during the jeep celebration event right now get 20 percent below msrp for an average of 15,178 under msrp on the purchase of a 2023 jeep grand cherokee overland 4x e or summit 4x e not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this show
1: ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.